And now, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the Cannabis Reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm Snowden Bishop, and I thank you for joining me today. It's been nearly three years since our very first episode with New York State Assemblyman Dr. Stephen Katz, who was one of the sponsors of a bill to decriminalize marijuana in his state after having great success controlling his own grand mal seizures with cannabis. But it wasn't just for himself that he fought to get cannabis out of the closet. He also happened to be a veterinarian who was one of the first to develop a line of CBD products to help German shepherds who were suffering with the pain from hip dysplasia. As you can imagine, it took quite a while for him to convince the state assembly to take on cannabis, but it might have taken even longer for him to convince his patients' masters that it was okay to give a derivative of cannabis to canines. As it turns out, CBD is one of the very best remedies for dogs and cats for the same reason it's good for their masters. Like humankind, all mammals have endogenous cannabinoid systems, which means CBD will work to help them cope with problems like separation anxiety, neurosis, inflammation, and pain, just like humans. But unlike humans, animals can't voice their pain, and they'll go out of their way to hide it from you. Perhaps that's because, instinctually, they realize that showing pain would make them vulnerable to prey. So whenever you see any outward sign of pain, you can be certain that an animal is truly suffering, which also means you'll see a dramatic improvement when the pain goes away. It's especially noticeable with larger animals that weigh a lot. Before I knew anything about cannabis, I was a documentarian for the Paw Project and spent several days a week filming and working with large captive cats in an animal sanctuary in California. What was most astonishing is that nearly half of them appeared to be crippled. They would avoid walking on hard surfaces and appeared to cringe when they jumped down from any height. Some were so lame that they would test each step as if they were making sure the ground would hold them. What I later learned is that most of them were retired animal actors who had been declawed, meaning the last bone of each digit had been amputated where the germinal nail tissue grows. Unfortunately, that also means the tendons that enable a cat to retract its claws are also severed. And think of rubber bands. They retreat into the forearms and usually take bits of severed bone with them. It only takes two years for the pain and inflammation to cripple a cat to the point where it's no longer agile or responsive enough to perform, at which point they are usually retired into sanctuaries. What's most sad is that it takes several more years before the pain is so excruciating that anyone will notice. Fortunately, the PAW Project, a nonprofit organization in Southern California, came up with a way to reattach the tendons to what's left of the digits and remove the bone fragments so that the cats can regain an ability to walk without so much pain. During the 10 years I was volunteering there, we repaired the paws of roughly 60 tigers, lions, mountain lions, and leopards, and almost immediately after the surgery, each and every one of them could get up and walk without so much pain. 
The film footage was the proof we needed to convince state legislature to enact a ban on declawing big cats, but not until after a long, hard battle, as you can imagine. We weren't able to convince them to pass a similar ban for the domestic cats because we were also head-to-head -head with the most powerful veterinarian lobby group, the AVMA, which was far more interested in protecting the profits of their members. But there were good Samaritans in the greater Los Angeles, San Diego, and San Francisco areas that could be convinced, and now it is illegal to declaw even domestic cats in those areas. And just in case you're wondering, there are several reasons why this is relevant today. A, I can't help but feel that CBD would have helped them with the inflammation and only wish that I had known about it back then. B, it is deeply rewarding to work with organizations that look out for the well-being of animals and humans that can't defend themselves. C, like cannabis activists who have fought to end prohibition, Animal rights activists are often fighting ignorance of lawmakers as much as they're fighting the special interests who don't realize or don't care that the animals are suffering. And D, all of the above are topics that we'll be exploring today with our guest who happens to be conducting a research study on CBD for treating arthritis in mountain lions. He's here with his best friend Dante. Ian Quinn is an educator, philanthropist, and entrepreneur with extensive experience leading global operations for organizations ranging from startups to Fortune 500 businesses. He has served as a founding member and VP of a global e-learning nonprofit organization and CEO of a leading B2B and B2C pet supplement manufacturer. His journey as the founder and CEO of Fido Animal Health begins when he and Dante were volunteering at their local VA housing program. It was there that he learned firsthand about the benefits of CBD for treating a variety of conditions, especially post-traumatic stress. Looking to provide these same benefits to Dante, who himself had his own version of post-traumatic stress from having been abused before he was adopted, Ian consulted with leading veterinarians to create a line of CBD supplements for his condition. And in 2017, Phyto Animal Health was born. And what I love about Ian is that he's still giving back, constantly volunteering and donating to really good causes, mainly to protect animals. This is a man with a good heart. Ian, I am so glad you joined me today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for allowing me to share our message. Oh. You're welcome. You know, I have an affinity for animals, as I've mentioned to you, and I know that you do as well. And I need to mention this because it, it will segue into what I'd like to talk about, and that is the advocacy part of introducing a new product, especially in the cannabis space. Cannabis is one of those sort of compassionate industries anyway, and a lot of people have entered it for all of the right reasons. And usually something altruistic leads them into this. And animal advocacy is just so important because you're talking about beings that can't defend themselves when humans are sort of invading their space. And it's just been that way throughout the evolution of humankind and that coexistence with the animals and all of that. But I just want to mention to our audience that you are actually supporting a cause that's very near and dear to my partners here at the Cannabis Reporter and I. And by sponsoring an event that we're 
holding for an animal rescue place here called All About Animals. And so I just want to give you a public kudos for that and just to say thank you so much for your support. I appreciate that recognition. And, you know, that's actually our mission. And my mission in life is healthy uh, pets, happy planet. And the happier the planet is, the healthier we all are. And we are animals. We may be mammals, but we're nothing but two-legged versions than our four-legged friends that we have at home and that we are also have as food and also in some cases, you know, entertainment. Not that I'm a huge fan of that industry, but hey, we have to take care of all of our loved ones. And yeah. that's what it's all about. We are the stewards of the earth. That's our responsibility is to take care of ourselves, each other and our community and our planet. Without it, we're in trouble. Well, absolutely. You're so right about that. And as I mentioned, you have a company that is called Fido Animal Health. And basically, you're offering CBD for pets. Have you run into any of the same issues as some of the product manufacturers for the human consumption, CBD, even if it's from hemp? We're running into all sorts of problems. And I've talked about this in the last few episodes, because it's just such a hot topic. But is the FDA concerned with what's going on in the pet CBD industry? No, of course they are. In fact, we work with the National Animal Supplement Council, NASC. They help oversee the actual animal supplements that are manufactured. And as members, uh, they help do several things. One, they make sure that our labels are compliant so that the FDA doesn't come breathe fire at us or line us up as a target to shoot. We have to look at what does the FDA look at in terms of products, uh, human or animal, well, food and drug. And so when it comes to labeling products and selling products and discussing products, we have to make sure we're following the guidelines there. And if I'm making claims about curing diseases and now I'm a drug and there's a pharmaceutical process to become approved, uh, which we've seen, right? The FDA has recently approved the first CBD-based drug for one of two types of children uh, epilepsies that are drug resistant. So there is that path. Then you have the food ingredient path and the FDA very much does not approve of this pro that method. Uh, neither does the AFCO, the American Animal Feed Control Organization. So we're not allowed to actually feed some of these products to the animals that we are gonna eat. But see, that's where the space gets interesting in the companion space. That's why we follow the regulations set by the NASC. Um, to your point though, no, we actually have not had any issues with the FDA because of following certain guidelines, certified good guidelines for agricultural practices, for manufacturing practices, marketing practices, uh, labeling, all of that. Because that is a big issue. You know, a lot of the feedback from last year in the industry from customers, a lot of the wholesalers, right, reselling these type of products is, we need these things to be properly labeled so they're not being pulled off our shelves, right? And so to one of the points you said, you know, Ian, you know, Phyto Animal Health is a CBD pet company, and that's actually one small fraction of Phyto Animal Health, right? We, we are, Phyto is uh, Latin for plant. And so we actually make plant-based uh, health, uh, animal health supplements. And so some will look at the ingredients. We have cinnamon in some of these products, which have been known for inflammatory benefits. Um, we have oatmeal flour, so no corn, soy, wheat, gluten, uh, no crazy preservatives, no sweeteners, nothing that's actually going to hurt animals. Remember, there's things we can enjoy that animals cannot, right? So we're very particular of the type of plants and things we source. Uh, but that's why we're a plant-based, but a hemp-based company. And how we grow our hemp actually allows us to have it rich in phytocannabinoids, CBD, CBG, THCV. Remember, there's uh, over like 89 different phytocannabinoids that we want to have present. 
uh, as well as hundreds to maybe thousands of different terpenes and flavonoids. And so when you actually grow the hemp with good agricultural practices, you're going to get all of that big benefit. But it's not just about what you're getting out of the plant. It's also about what you're not getting out of the plant. And when done right, you're not getting herbicides, fertilizers, pesticides. And that's why we actually, our story really is a soil to sale, not just a seed to sale. The seed is important, but the soil is just as important. Remember, a hemp plant, a cannabis plant, is going to absorb a lot of different chemicals and things out of the ground. So if we're using these nasty things, they're going to be in the end product. So test the soil, test the raw biomass when it's harvested, and then make sure you test it again before you sell it out into the industry. That's where that safety, that's where that regulation, and more importantly, that's where the trust comes in because you're sticking to the T of the law. It's really not gray like a lot of people think it is. It's very black and white. And so uh, being invested in with MMI, Medical Marijuana Inc., uh, we have the economy to scale, but more importantly, we founded this industry, uh, particularly here in the United States, Mexico, Brazil, and in other countries as well, over 10 years ago. And because of that, we're able to stay in, in step with the FDA requirements, with the NASC requirements, as well as just the constant changes. Just the farm bill with the hemp bill just passing, wow, did that shake up the ground. And unfortunately, it's created a lot of confusion, but that's okay. We understand the market. We stay true to our customers. And like I said, we, we don't dance in the gray area. We stay very black and white and transparent. Yeah, you've mentioned a lot of things that I want to go back to. But yeah, I interviewed Stuart Titus uh, about two years ago, actually. And it's extraordinary what that company has managed to pull off in the face of the stigma to break through. And back then, getting CBD into Mexico was a big deal. And I mean, they, they've really done some amazing things. And I guess I didn't realize that, is your company a, a subsidiary of Medical Marijuana Inc. then? That's correct. Oh, okay, good. So now I'm putting two and two together. <laughs> yeah, it's actually a very interesting story how Dr. Titus and I met. Um, at the time, I was actually a, a national sales manager for a medical device and pharmaceutical company in the veterinary space, originally a human company, and I took their human-based products and had them relabeled, retested, and remanufactured for animals. And then I sold these products through veterinary hospitals and clinics for about eight years. And I really got to get some great experience with veterinarians. I became experienced and educated as a veterinary technician. I didn't become certified uh, because the school, it's to not be actually a technician in the industry. It would hurt their um, percentage rates for people graduating and going on to be RVTs. But I audited all the classes, used to teach actually best anesthesia techniques with them. Uh, long story short, when I met all these great individuals, um, I started volunteering at the VA with my dog, Dante, my companion for my traumatic brain injury and my PTSD that I suffer from. Very well managed now. I haven't had issues in probably three years. Well, a big part of that's my CBD. But um, Dante and I, we started volunteering at the VA. And um, this is a vocational housing program, so it's a drug and free, uh, drug and alcohol-free zone. We were using CBD, meditation, and anger management to help these veterans uh, get back to society. And we found very quickly that CBD was one of the biggest game changers for this therapeutic program. Uh, it helped with mental stability. Uh, gentlemen who were not, they, they would fly off the hinges before, had really angry episodes. Now all of a sudden would take a breath uh, and relax. It is an, it's an anxiolytic in some cases. 
It's also an antipsychotic, so potential to help with maybe suicide thought processes. And these are some of the things people were sharing with us. And do I know exactly it was that? No, but that's what we started seeing, and that was the only change. Uh, physically, we started seeing some of these guys who, uh, no change in physical you know, activity, getting in and out of chairs with a little bit of better ease, their backs and their knees and things like that, not hurting as much. And again, what's going on? What's the change? And so uh, it was in my first class, I found Dante had a skill of honing in on someone going down the rabbit hole. There was an individual who just you know, arms crossed, body language, energy coming off him was just leave me alone. I don't want to be here. And by the end of the class, he's in Dante's, Dante's in his lap and he's smiling. And so I approached him, was about to approach him and say, hey, what's going on, buddy? And these two other veterans turned around and said, hey, man, are you having a moment? I said, yeah. And then your dog came up, broke my concentration. And I remembered I was here, safe. I said, yeah, man, me too. And they turned to me and said, Ian, how'd you train him? I said, whoa, no idea he had that skill. The gift of being able to go up to the veterans and know and understand that they were the ones who kind of needed him to be there. That is phenomenal. Yes. It, it, it blew my brain when I saw it. I was like, when they, when they had the guys turn to me, how'd you train him? I was like, well, he's canine good citizen. I did that training, but that I didn't know. Yeah. Again, we need each other. We're connected. He needs me. I need him. And we all need each other. And so I got him certified to be my uh, service animal for my TBI. And I went back to the veterinarians and my sales job. I said, guys, here's what I'm seeing. Uh, Dante, however, is a rescue. And he's a rescue from a kill shelter. He's a pit bull. He's got really bad separation anxiety. Uh, by age three, his mobility and getting off the ground was very hard. Going up and down stairs was impossible. I had to carry my 60-pound pit bull up and down. And with the pain and the anxiety, he never wanted to eat. And when I go back to anxiety real quick, he went through a plastic crate, a wire crate, a metal crate with bars three inches thick, bent them in opposite directions. And then oh I purchased the same crate that search and rescue uh, workers use. And, you know, and he could, it broke most of his teeth. So you can imagine how bad his anxiety was. Uh, it almost mirrored my own, right? When I was going through early treatment phases and trying to figure out my brain injury. And uh, so they said, Ian, the benefits you're seeing, try it. You're going to see it. Just be careful of THC Delta 9. Now I'm in California, so we're, we're like in cannabis heaven. You're going to find any type of product you want. But I know there's ingredients that humans can have that they can't. I'm not about to kill my best friend. So I consulted with my veterinarian friends. And uh, from UC Davis, from uh, Cornell University, from quite a few different areas, from pain management, anesthesia, behavior modification, nutritionalists, all of them, to start formulating some products for my best friend. I mean, they, the phrase, right, necessity is the mother of all creation. It's exactly it. I needed to do something for my best friend. And, I, and within a few days of making my bacon apple donuts for him, I noticed several things. He was moving with ease, getting off the ground, going up the stairs. He was eating without fuss. And I decided, let's see what happens when I go to the pool and I don't crate him. And I came home, he was sleeping on the couch, not eating it. And I was like, wow. I went back to the veterinarians and I uh, told them what was going on. And I said, Ian, start sharing the products with some, some friends, see what happens and report back to us. And I did. And I started sharing it with friends whose animals had cancer, and epilepsy, all types of different disorders. And it's not that they were cured. No, there was definitely support and some benefits happening. And we documented these things. And I went back to the veterinarians and said, guys, look what I'm seeing. Ian, what are you doing? Oh, there's my boy Dante barking in the back. <laughs> um, I said, Ian, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? Said, you coached me. And they're like, no, no, no. You have something. You have a solution. You have a product. Go start a company. I said, guys, come on. I'm from the south side of Chicago. I got brain holes in my brain. You know, I was an air reserve, jumped out of planes. I was a professional boxer, but my 
I got in a bad car accident. My brain's got holes. I don't have the resources. You know, my dad was a steel worker. Mom's a nurse. And they're like, Ian, stop making excuses. You have passion. You have a, pro- you have a product. You have a solution for a lot of people. It's low cost. Go find people with resources. Be resourceful. And I did. And MJ&A, Dr. Titus, is in my backyard. So I performed due diligence to find who would have high-quality, safe oil, low THC. And that's them. They're in my backyard. And I went down and I said, guys, I'd like to get some wholesale pricing. Here's what I'm doing. And uh, Dr. Titus goes, Ian, are you looking for investors? Yes, I am. He goes, will you come back and pitch this to the board of executives maybe in a month? I said, yes. That was November 2016, December 2016. I pitched it to the board. This is also when one of our other founding fathers was still around. Unfortunately, he passed in a gnarly car accident. But um, oh my God! by the end of the conversation, it was game time. It was game on. I left my six-figure sales job uh, to focus 100% on growing this and have some better negotiation power. Uh, so uh, March 2017, I left my cushy six-figure job, buried the hatch, sold the farm, maxed out the credit cards, closed out the 401k, and jumped off the ledge. <laughs> and October that same year, Dr. Titus invested in me. Wow. He saw what I did. He saw the business building, and he said, I'm in, Ian. What do we do? Here we are. Ah, oh, you gave me goosebumps. Nobody owes you anything. Yeah. Get up, work hard, prove it. Yeah, well, congratulations. And I'm sorry to hear about your partner as well. That's very sad. It was hard. It was, um, you know, he was a, a big member, a big founding father. And um, it also meant it had to get to start funding itself and work yeah. really hard to make this happen, you know. And we did. And Stuart stuck by me through this challenging time. Not only was it challenging for them, it's terrifying for us, but his leadership and uh, my tenacity to not take no for an answer, to bend my knees, dig my heels in, we made it happen. And we made it through the toughest year of our first business. We're in our second year and we're growing at such a rate. We're three times ahead of where we were in December and January at the same time. Phenomenal. Yeah, well, he's, he's definitely a trailblazer. That is for certain. And full disclosure, I'm actually an investor. I bought shares and I, I'm a non-discriminating uh, investor in cannabis shares. But every time a company goes public, I buy a little. And so I just have to disclose that, though, because we're talking about it. And I don't want people to think I'm talking about it because of that. No, no. I'm a very minor shareholder. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. No, I appreciate that honesty because that's what the industry needs, right? It needs transparency, not just on quality control measures, but just honest people. We're peeling back years and layers of propaganda and lies, and we're also peeling, pulling a a great, you know, market, black market, really, out of the shadows. And so, you know, there's going to be some cockroaches and some very interesting people that come with that and go away with that. And so, you know, we have to be honest. We have to be open. And you know what? Good. And there's going to be more companies that will be publicly traded. There will be even uh, just as good quality products I know out there as us. That's good. That's not competition. That's companionship. That's developing a market that needs it. That's leadership. Absolutely. You know, there's more than one leader and officer in the military. There's several. We need to be working together, not slinging mud at each other. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And, you know, this is the conundrum of the industry. You know, as I mentioned, everybody who I deal with, it seems, comes to this industry for some altruistic reason. 
there's always something that draws. It's a law of attraction with this industry. And yes, there are pariahs. And, and I mentioned that in last week's show, if anybody was listening last week, the same thing. I mean, there are people who come into it for the wrong reasons, but for the most part, this is probably one of the most socially responsible industries. And that is the irony Absolutely. because, yeah, and it's the irony because there are so many barriers that keep getting put up. Like, you know, two years before the hemp bill passed, they schedule CBD. Why? And at the time, they just said that they were scheduling it for convenience because they knew at some point hemp would probably be legalized. And I mean, these were just sort of the underground reasons why they said they did this. But big, huge barrier to bring down was legalizing hemp. And what do they do? They took the CBD regulation out of the hands of the DEA in this bill and put it into the hands of the FDA. And the truth of the matter is that the FDA has been gunning for this industry, and I just don't understand how they can get away with it. I mean, most people with the brain can figure out that there are special interests that are behind that. You know, they, 100%. they don't want the competition that the products from hemp will produce. And that's, I could go on about that all day, and I won't. Oh, yeah, it's a whole, that's a show in and of itself right there. Yeah, and I, I basically covered a lot of that ever since the hemp bill passed. I've been just obsessed with getting to the bottom of this whole FDA thing because a friend of ours who has a, a hemp CBD company, all of his products were confiscated recently, and that's another show that I <laughs> talk about. But I want to go back to something that you said, which I thought was really interesting, and that is that they won't allow feed animals to be fed CBD products, and yet... Not, CBD, just hemp, not just CBD, hemp itself, they can't feed it. Right, which is tragic, considering the fact that a lot of the feedstock that they get is corn that's grown with the GMO. It, it's, it's Roundup ready, right? So the animals that humans are eating are receiving crops that have glyphosate, which is a contributing, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a contributing cause of autism. It's a contributing cause of cancer, which has been proven and in the courts recently as well. And so right. to bar people who want to raise animals organically for human consumption, it makes no sense to me that they would allow the hormones and the antibiotics and these drugs that they're pumping in on top of the GMO crops that they're feeding them. And yet hemp, which can be grown without all of those things, has anti-inflammatory properties to it. And especially if, it, if they're allowed to have CBD, they could replace a lot of the drugs that are being given for the inflammation that's being caused by all the infections, which is being caused by the inhumane practices, basically. Don't even get me started on that. That's a whole other episode. But Well, I, well you're, you're bringing up all very important things because, you know, this is, again, I mentioned earlier in the show about Healthy Pets, Happy Planet. And the hemp plant itself, uh, aside from its amazing nutritional and, you know, health benefits, because, uh, I mean, it, it is quite amazing. We're talking some of this, but we look at what it does for our planet, right? And so we, we look at water conservation is critical right now. And the soybean farmers in America are hurting right now because of the tariff war. Well, why not transfer that soybean business into growing hemp? You're going to use less water. You're not going to have chemicals and pesticides and fertilizers or that you have to use for it. Um, in fact, when it's all said and done, you can add most of the 
used up biomass, if it's done with proper manufacturing processes, back into into a compost for a fertilizer. It absorbs a ton of greenhouse gases, and more importantly, it's carbon negative. So through its entire life cycle, even when manufactured into other things, it sequesters carbon out of the air. So yes, it is going to change the world. In fact, to, to the why we don't use it, well, it's because they don't, they don't understand that if we give these products to these animals, which we used to, we used to feed this to these animals all the time uh, before prohibition. In fact, you look at the 1914 $10 bill, you flip it over, there's a picture. On the right, there's industry like Chicago and um, Pittsburgh. You see the steel mills and industry like that from the turn of the century. On the left side of the bill are farmers. Guess what they're farming? Hemp bales. Why? Because of the different textiles and things you can make with it. Now, hemp bales itself, and the hemp fiber, like we don't just use the oils and everything. We also take, we're trying to be a zero waste company. So we actually take the inner core of the stock and we shred it and turn it into bedding. It's called hemp herd. And the hemp herd can actually be used for chickens, for cattle, for goats, for horses. It can also be used as a kidulator at the house. But just for outside animal use, if you mix it with water and lime and put it in a concrete mixer, you can turn it into bricks like adobe bricks and called hempcrete, build houses out of it that are fireproof. Sounds like every house in California should be made out of it, huh? Oh, yeah. But that same high temperature capability that hempcrete has is also in the bedding for the animals. So inside these large industrial barns covered in um, just nasty feces and nasty caked up uh, sawdust, which is extremely flammable. Most of the animals might not die from the fire because it goes up and goes out so fast, but they're going to die from the smoke inhalation. The hemp bedding that we use doesn't turn on fire. It takes a very long heat resistance. It's also antimicrobial, antifungal, bacterial, reducing MRSA, E. coli, salmonella by 90%. Wow. That might curve antibiotic resistance in the food chain. Oh, yeah. And also, since it maintains its heat temperature, it doesn't get so hot in the summer that chickens burn their feet. So when they burn their feet, they walk funky. And when they walk funky, their knees go out. And when their knees go out, they die. And I know right now I can help Tyson Foods increase their yield in their poultry. Because right now their average death rate is about 8.9. Just by changing to the hemp bedding, we could take it to about 8.1, 7.9. In the state of wow. Tennessee alone, that's millions of chickens. So that's just the bedding, right? Now they can use the bedding, right? That's a, it's not topical. It's not something they eat. However, when we look at the science, scientific clinical data, which I know a lot of Americans and other people are really hard-headed about right now, the science and clinical data that's there. We know that when we feed the hulls of the hemp seeds to chickens, their eggs are healthier. They have a more omega-3 fatty content. We also know when we feed hemp seed and hemp protein to dairy cows, they can increase their milk production by 1.8 liters a day. That's why in Europe and other countries, they feed it. That's why in the turn of the century, we used to feed it. It's not going to taint the carcass that we eat or the milk or the cheese. We're not going to get high. It's misunderstanding and people not looking at science and looking at products that they think are prohibited when they're not. We're waking up finally in the United States to, to this truth. We look at other countries that have not had the hemp prohibition that we have, like in Europe, like our partners in Holland and the Netherlands. You know, they've been six generational farmers. Can we go back six generations with hemp in this country? It's really hard to find that, right? And so we're going to be able to bring some of those best practices back here. The fact that Canada and Mexico has legalized cannabis before we have, 
wow, we're now behind Mexico if people want to be that crazy about it. Yeah, we need to wake up, catch up. And you know what? We're industrialists. We're capitalists. We can do it, but let's do it right so we don't hurt our planet, our people, and our animals. There's ethics. There's morals. It's okay to have a heart yeah. and a soul. By God. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And, uh, well, a couple of things. You know, first of all, this is one of the reasons it is so important to get this message out. We have an opportunity right now to transform the way that people live, transform industry to be more sustainable, to get back into sort of basic decency when it comes to the way that we're treating our planet, the way that we're treating our animals. And I did not know this about the hemp herd being used for bedding um, with the heat distribution so that the chickens don't burn their feet. But we did do an episode last year. I called it Why Disaster Zones Need Hemp Homes. And with the fires that are happening everywhere and with the flooding and with the severe weather events, the tornadoes even, you know, the, the hempcrete is actually so much more durable when it comes to any of these disasters that you'd almost think that the civic planners who are rebuilding some of these communities that have been destroyed, you would think that it would be important for them to demand that the rebuilding happen with at least, you know, 50% hemp when you're rebuilding some of these communities yeah. so that when the fires come through again, you know, yeah, you might lose your personal items inside the house, but the structures won't have to be rebuilt. Or when the, the sea levels rise so high, these houses won't be wiped out. They'll still be standing. The personal effects will be gone, but the houses themselves will still be standing. And we will get to this point where the cost of remediating these climate events won't be so high because they're going to continue to happen. You know, right now, industry is not there's there's absolutely no incentive for these multinational companies to start embracing some of these changes right now, you know, and we're reaching that tipping point. It's very dire. And the climate yes, deniers are years. just, yeah, the climate deniers are just too powerful. I actually went and got my climate leadership courses with Al Gore so that I could speak to this. I used to be an environmental journalist. And in fact, that's how I got into writing about cannabis. And my first article was back in 2010. And people are probably sick of hearing me say this. But, you know, that really is what drew me in. I was I was writing about unsustainable agriculture and was becoming just so uh, frustrated to know the things that I know and watch what was happening in our world. So I got into environmental writing. And I was writing an article about unsustainable agricultural practices and stumbled upon an article about hemp and then started reading, you know, from like Jack Herrera's book and started looking into it. And I'm thinking, you know, if we want to create a sustainable planet, the, the fastest path forward is cannabis, hemp. But it's really amazing what it will do for so many different industries. And, and also, I, I spoke with Bruce Perlowin from Hemp Inc., not too long ago, and he was telling me about this this product that he'd come up with that would actually prevent the seepage from the fracking into the water tables. It would be a much more effective product, much more sustainable, and wouldn't leach uh, the toxic chemicals that are currently leached from the fracking. 
But I, I, that's a whole other conversation. So there's just no shortage of anything to talk about. But with feeding the animals, going back to that, are there any efforts from your company or from Medical Marijuana Inc. to actually go in and start lobbying some of these regulations? Yes, we are. In fact, we're working closely with uh, the chairs of the Cannabis Task Force from the American Veterinary Medical Association, as well as some of the leaders, executives from the NASC, the National Animal Supplement Council, so that we can put this together properly. Uh, one of the individuals we're working with right now um, and communicating with is Dr. Jeffrey Powers, one of the former heads of the chairs, if not still, lives in Michigan. Dr. Powers is amazing and has actually helped change the laws in Michigan so that veterinary hospitals can actually utilize these products and prescribe them and sell them and financially benefit from them. Because here's the interesting thing. Veterinarians are not protected like humans are, like human doctors. In California, for instance, right? Uh, AB 420, the Compassionate Care Act for doctors to recommend medical marijuana, that does not cover veterinarians. And even if they did, medical marijuana, marijuana is not what we want to be giving pets, right? High levels of THC Delta 9 without veterinarian recommendation and, and guidance can be toxic and fatal. It takes a lot to be fatal, but it's not fun with the side effects. Like you mentioned, animals do not act the same way we do. Uh, they, when they get high, it's not a good time for them. Their brain is not developed like ours. We have a good time. We talk to butterflies. We enjoy conversations with dolphins, and they don't. Um, and so having regulated products that actually um, are specifically formulated for veterinarians is important. And the, the odd part is, and if you're not protecting the veterinarian or, and the animal, that puts consumers at risk. And so a new bill came out, AB 2215. And this allows California veterinarians to discuss, recommend, prescribe cannabis, yet somehow not sell it or use it in practice. That sounds like an antitrust lawsuit to me. You're going to make the clinicians do all the financial heavy lifting, or excuse me, clinical work and education, but not financially benefit from it? When we know that many of the veterinarians, based on the AVMAZO data, are experiencing high levels of depression, higher than normal suicide rates, and most of it from financial stress, and also for money to do their jobs. Because nobody ever wants to put an animal down because they can't manage their pain. And manufacturers of opiates, right? We have this opiate crisis, which is true and real. But now, so supposedly, these opiate companies have cut back their manufacturing of opiates, right? The, the DEA and the governments have cut your manufacturing back by over 60% over this X amount of time. 80% of that went to the veterinary medical side. They don't even have opiates to manage pain in their hospitals. So you're telling me you're not going to give them access to use these to manage pain, and you're also not going to let them financially benefit? Sounds like you're putting consumers at risk, patients at risk, and financially ruining your own professionals. Right. So we are well, actively engaged with them to say, look, let's look at this. You know, we've changed, hemp has changed, right? It has absolutely changed the game with the new farm bill and the hemp bill. And gosh, look at some of the conservative names that are attached to it, right? Mitch McConnell, holy cow. I, but um, Mitch McConnell's name is there and that's important. That means this is the future. Even very staunch conservative people get this. They get it. It's moving forward. This is happening. <laughs> if No ifs, well, ands, or buts. It's already it, here. Yeah, it's here. It's here. But we just have to get the regulators out of the way. You know, we, we yes. have to. But actually, you know what? I'm going to restate that. We need to get involved get, with them. 
well, we need to get the special interests out of the way so that the yes. regulators are not motivated by campaign dollars. They're not motivated by scratching each other's back for this or that. There's a very large level of corruption that's happening right now that's shaping our laws. And typically, over time, the abolition of cannabis in our commerce and society came from the handful of special interests. Everybody knows the story and the reefer madness and the whole thing with the DuPonts and the, the Hearst family and and the Rockefellers and, and the Anslinger family and the Standard Oil fortune. It was a conspiracy. This is not just a theory. It was actually a conspiracy. Yeah. But this has been passed down to the progeny of those special interests. And the entirety of the pharmaceutical industry has been a lobbyist against cannabis regulation, as has the entirety of the oil. It's not just standard oil fortune. It's the entire oil industry. Correct. And so a lot of these special interests are still involved. And when, when you're looking at the way that the FDA is gunning for the cannabis industry, and now that they're empowered, they're emboldened. And they couldn't do anything policy-wise as long as the DEA was involved and the DEA was looking away. Now that they have the power to oversee the, the CBD industry especially, now they're going to start throwing their weight around. So what are they going to do? Put a billion-dollar industry out of business because they will only approve one CBD product? So everybody else has to throw away their product for now? It just makes absolutely zero sense. And for the conservative side of things, I think that you're starting to see more and more conservatives embrace the idea of hemp because it is not only, you know, get government out of, you know, ruling people's lives and, and sort of liberate something that could benefit a lot of people. You're starting to see a little bit more of that, but they're still oh, yeah. sandwiched in between that conservative ideology to let capitalism go in the direction it should and protecting the people who are getting them elected. So, I, I go back to this a lot, and I haven't done it for a while, but the campaign finance is a big problem, and it's one of the biggest obstacles, I think, to the cannabis industry moving forward. So I'm glad to hear that you're doing some lobby work, and I hope that people really do start calling their representatives to say, please get the FDA out of the way. Please let this happen. My animal can benefit from it. You know, my my father could benefit from it. My daughter could benefit from it. And not only that, but all of the opportunities that it, it creates financially for our country, it just, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. No, no, no. That, that's, I completely understand where you're going. And this, the, the truth of the matter is the cat's out of the bag. Pandora's box is open because the banks now are taking credit cards. The banks now are holding cash from cannabis companies. It's a done deal. The bankers own it. And so the bankers finance most of all of us. Um, pharma is in the game now. Big tobacco is getting in the game. Big alcohol is getting into the game. And big ag is getting in the game. There, it's been time to reshuffle the resources and the funds. That's what the mucking of the waters is. This now is the rebirth and the renaissance. We're going to see some really interesting things happen over the next couple of years. But the truth is the cat's out of the bag. And there are too many things that would move it backwards and that's why it does take the industry leaders to work with the legislation to create the proper
quality control measures and legislations because if they do it by themselves, we won't be happy. And we've been doing it by themselves and we've been doing something pretty good, but they're not 100% happy. We need to come together and create the right legislation and the right way of taxation and all of that. Um, just like with the FAA, you know, there were so many near misses in the early days of the FAA. And the FAA said, wow, we can't have all these missed, you know, these, these issues in the sky. Turns out all these manufacturers of airplanes are making too many. We need to regulate how many they make and how many fly in the sky. But they knew if they did that without the industry's input, it would hurt them. And the industry knew if they came in and did it, they would. So they worked together to create the new standards we have of the FAA and of the aeronautic industry and the aerospace as well. We need to do the same thing here. That is no difference. And again, to something you mentioned earlier about greed. Yeah. And then companies somehow needing incentives to do the right thing. It helps, not going to lie, but that's not 100% needed. It's just not. It's called doing the right thing. Realizing we have children, we have other people, we have a short amount of time here. And we can't just rob it. We are the stewards of the earth. That means we take care of ourselves, our children and our community, our elderly, our animals, and our earth. You know, I don't need an incentive to do that. I'll say thank you for that, but I don't need it. And now we need more businesses to have that. It's okay. Be strong. Don't cower to money and power. Doesn't need it. You're so right. And I, there are enough people out there like you and like me who would like to see more right livelihood in our corporate culture, see people doing the right thing, see politicians doing the right thing. And we've looked away for so long. And when you think about how many people have died because of this sort of crooked way of looking at the regulation in the drug industry. You know, how many people have had to die before they start realizing that, oh, wait, maybe we do need to start looking into what it is that's being approved on a fast track by the FDA. Maybe we need to start thinking about alternative medicines. And, and then there were going to be some holdouts, and I, I think that we're seeing that last bastion of, of the corrupt holdouts, you know, really kicking and screaming right now. Um, the swamp was drained, but the swamp animals have all come to roost. <laughs> They're now on dry land screaming and they're more dangerous than ever before. And so we really do need to get the campaign finance out of the way. We need to get the corruption out of our corporate culture. And yeah, so, but again, I think cannabis is the path forward for a lot of these problems. And you were talking about sequestering the, the carbon and protecting the animals and getting the drugs out of our feedstock. And yeah, mm -hmm. so it'll be interesting to see what happens. And it's not just our production animals. It's, it's, it's also our companions. That's why we do this. You know, we look at the interaction of humans and animals. We are so intertwined. And, you know, my grandmother, you know, she always had dogs her whole life. And when she got towards, you know, end of life, having that dog was really important. And that's her friend. And he was going through some issues with mobility, with sundowners, almost like Alzheimer's type of situations. And you, 
want to give them help and comfort because you know what? That's your best friend. And so if you can provide some relief, do it. You have to. And you know what? All of a sudden, you see your buddy moving a little better, experiencing what they used to be like for a little bit, just a higher quality of life. We feel better about that because we're connected. See, that's a primary need of human existence, connection. We're pack animals. We need each other. We need the earth. We need the animals. We're so connected. Because when you're connected, you feel like you have a place. You feel like you have a need. Especially when you feel safe, because then you have confidence. And you're doing everything you can to stay connected and help others connect. And people tell you, I appreciate what you're doing. That's love. And right there, when you do all of that together, everything gets better. I don't care who you are, what's going on. Everything gets better. And that's why we look at how we can take care of the ones that connect with us and care for us. Hit my dog, hit my cat. Because, yeah, my best friend, when I have a moment and I need help, he's there. Just like my wife and my kids. He's my fur baby. So we have to do what's right for them and for us. I sleep better knowing I take care of my family. Yeah. Well, and our pets are our family. Yes, they are. You know, uh, over 50% of American households have a pet, have a family member like that. And there are some estimated 80 million dogs and 80 million cats in the United States with about 50% of them getting the love and the care that they need. The amount of animals in the shelters, the animals we have in our zoos and our wildlife rescues. Man, again, going back to this concept of the stewards, take care of them. They feed you. They care for you. Take care of them. It's not that hard. So very true. Wow. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. And do you have any last thoughts before we close? You know, I just want to share thank you for allowing me to have a platform to sh share the mission of Healthy Pets, Happy Planet, of Phytoanimal Health, and of myself. Um, the more we get this out, the more we share. And so I thank you. Uh, without you, I wouldn't be able to make it happen. So thank you. Well, thank you. I really appreciate hearing that. And uh, yeah, and I appreciate your time as well. And thank you again, also for supporting All About Animals. That's amazing. And I look forward to hearing more about your company and what progress that you make and the new products and all of that. So feel free to share with me anytime. Absolutely. I want to stay in contact. I'll probably regularly just shoot you emails and some photos and updates of some of the stuff we're doing. And once I have my case studies from the wildlife rescue with the um, mountain lions with arthritis in uh, the northern part of Scottsdale, because we're working with the wildlife rescue over there, um, we'll get that over to you because it's, it's just awesome. So has it been successful with the mountain lions? It's been extremely successful. Um, the, the feedback that we're getting from the handlers uh, is that, like I went over there over Thanksgiving holiday to give them a run through and drop off some, some donations for them. And uh, it was fun. My sons were with me, my four-year-old and my five-year-old. And um, one of the black bears ended up taking some of the CBD with peanut butter right off my finger. It was awesome. And uh, so we started in Thanksgiving. And uh, about 10 days later, they messaged me back, Ian, on a scale of one to 10 on a limp, you know, 10 being the worst, they were 10s when you got here. They're now a six. Now today, this is, this is two weeks after starting. Now today, they're a four. 
and they're working on looking at how to properly diagnose or prescribe their their NSAIDs and non-steroidals. They're actually starting to lower them. That's a big positive sign. Not only are they moving a little better, they're using a little bit less pharmaceutical. I call it a win. Absolutely, that's a win. And there are so many big cats and you know, and other animals that have been barbarically altered with, you know, within the film industry, especially the insurance companies would require, yeah, they're notorious for requiring that big cats are declawed. Mutilation. Yeah. They say that it's going to make them safer. And it absolutely does not because in the absence of having those claws, they bite instead. And so. Oh yeah. And then they take their teeth out. Oh yeah. Which is, which is even worse. I mean, we should not be meddling that way. No. And also, when you declaw these big, beautiful cats, it causes such mutilation that when they walk around, they have such inflammation inside their feet. It's like walking around on pins and needles. Imagine having a real sharp rock and a real tight shoe. And every time you stepped, ow. Yeah, exactly. It's that the sharp pebble in the shoe. And with the 500 pound cats, and I used to work with, they were that big, I mean, five, 600 pound tigers and lions and mountain lions. Within two years of being declawed, they were completely lame and couldn't work anymore. And they'd have to retire them, but they were retired to a life of pain. It wasn't like they get to go and play in the field. These cats could barely move. And back when I was doing this, there were a number of cats that we worked with at the Wildlife Way Station back when I was a level one volunteer over there 15, 20 years ago and working with the PAW Project. And CBD wasn't even a twinkle in anyone's eye except for the small amount of activists who knew about it a long time ago. And I certainly didn't know enough about it. And when I think now how much they could have been helped at that point with the pain from having been declawed and and thank god we were able to get the state of california to ban declawing of these large exotic species cats because had that not happened it would still be going on and thank so. you for doing that that's beautiful work you're a steward you do it <laughs> you take care of them thank you yeah absolutely so and we will definitely stay in touch we have the same hearts thank you it's just so nice to hear this point of view as well. And I think it's important for other people to start embracing that compassionate side of business. And, you know, that the fact that you were able to get into this out of your passion for what you were doing. And, and I think it will help veterans as well, what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. So, and I'm glad to hear that it has actually helped with the TBI that you've experienced because I know that it can be so debilitating and cannabis has been such an amazing therapy for people, whether it's PTSD or an accident or um, I've shared this before, my other half had a massive stroke and if it weren't for CBD that he had been taking for multiple sclerosis, he wouldn't be with us today. And that came in from a board-certified neurosurgeon, neurologist, who also has three PhDs in brain science, including CTE study. So, you know, it's, it's such an important medicine for that as well. So I'm, oh, glad, absolutely. I'm glad to hear that it's helping you. So that Thank it, you. So Thank you for sharing, actually, your story as well. You had mentioned many people get into this because of compassion. The story of why you got here is very important. Thank you. And that's all I ever ask of my my fellow employees. You know, we're on the same boat together. Please ask each other why you're here. Please ask your customers why they need it. 
it's their story, not ours. Yeah. So thank you for sharing your story. You're welcome. And <laughs> thank you for mentioning it. So anyway, well, I am getting that signal that it's time to start wrapping up. Oh, Ian, thank you. I really appreciate this. So You're welcome. I appreciate it too. I really enjoyed this conversation and ah, like all good things, it has to come to an end. Once again, I'd like to personally thank my guest, Ian Quinn, for sharing his insights and knowledge with us today. If you'd like to learn more about the mountain lion study or the work he's doing at Fido Animal Health, please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com. Click podcast to find today's episode. And that's where you'll find his bio along with information and links to his website. We have so many people to thank. First, I'd like to express our gratitude for our radio partners, Sunstate Technology, Canisphere Biotech, and Integrated Compliance Solutions for supporting our show. I'd also like to thank my production team here at The Cannabis Reporter for making us shine, and our programming directors at XRQK Radio Network and Society Bites Radio for distributing our show. And last but not least, thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Snowden Bishop inviting you to join me next week same time, same place for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, we encourage you to give what you can, stay safe and informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day. Evergreen is calling.